thank you to each of you. Again, we do not take your support for granted. Uh, we promise to keep bringing good, uh, good, good publications, good services, and good conversations. We, we promise that. If you could be in Dan's head for an hour, your head be spinning, but you'd see what I'm saying. So um, thank you all so much. Let's get started with this conversation. Um, welcome, President. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Jackie Robinson Ivy, our uh, City Club uh, board chair, and uh, and please join me in welcoming the great president of the Cook County Board of Commissioners. It's an honor to have President Preckwinkle. Thank you. I should say, uh, welcome back, uh, yes. it, because you are you are here. I believe we tried to figure out how many times you've spoken here over the course of your career, and we hit 15 uh, individual and 21 uh, with a couple of panels. Um, I'm thinking of getting jackets made, like Saturday Night Live, you know, with the, with the like 15-time club or the stripes on the... On this the, is in lieu of the, of the mug, is it? Yeah, in lieu of the mug, right. We're, we're changing up some policies, if you, if you haven't heard. Okay. Um, but no, we do. We, we welcome you at City Club, and you've always uh, you've always come. You've always shared, and you've you've been so willing, even this format now, to really take all the questions, have the conversations. I appreciate when I see you out uh, talking to all of the, the the members and the crowd and the tables. Why why do you keep coming to City Club? This is uh, it's it's an honor to have you here, and we really appreciate it. Uh, well, I guess I would say, you know, I'm a teacher by profession. I always say politics is public education. And, you know, the City Club is engaged in civic education and public education. So there's a real synergy there. Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you for that and for your continued support over over so many years. I think when you and I first met, you were um, the alderman of the Fourth Ward. Yes. Um, I was working for the Mayor Daly's administration. Um you had to fight like hell to get to that position of the alderman in the fourth ward. Um, I won on my third try, yes. Third try. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and here we are. You are the president of, multi-term president of Cook County Board of Commissioners. You're the, uh, the chair of the Democratic Party uh, for Cook County. And, and really, when you think about it, the, uh, the elder states, stateswoman of, of the state of Illinois, right? How did how'd that come to be? I'm not sure I want to claim that. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> but before before we go anymore, I, you know, I, I have to acknowledge our commissioners who are here because otherwise they'll be in trouble forever. Um, commissioners Degnan, Commissioner Gaynor, Commissioner Miller, Commissioner Marino, would you give them a hand, please? Could you could you raise your hands? I know you stand up. Come on, please stand up. Stand up. There we go. I am grateful. You know, I have to say, you can't do this work without strong support from the legislative body, and I'm grateful to all of our commissioners and to those two over here especially. Thank you. And I'd like to ask our Cook County staff, Lynetta Haynes-Turner, my chief of staff, and all the folks, would you stand up, please, so we can get a... Thank you. i got to go back to the office after this, so... <laughs> So bring us back a little bit. How'd you get here? Well, I always tell the story. You know, when I was uh, when I was in high school, my social studies teacher Richard Harmon um, invited me to be involved in a campaign for the first black woman to run for city council in St. Paul, Minnesota. Her name was Katie McWatt. She passed away actually just a couple years ago. She was a community activist, and um, we 
knocked on doors and got people to put out yard signs and stuffed envelopes, all the things you do in campaigns. And I, I loved it. Katie McWater, unfortunately, didn't win. But um, although City St. <laughs> Paul now has an African-American mayor and their city council is entirely women under 40. <laughs> so uh, um, they have some advantages over us here. <laughs> But I, I, um, I, I love campaigning, and so when I came to Chicago to go to college, I continued to work in campaigns. And, uh, if, well, here we are at City Club 21 times later. Um, and, and by the way, uh, as Jackie mentioned, we do have question cards on each table. I'm going to try, and we have such a full room, but I, the staple of City Club is to ask all the questions. So please... Uh, write them out now and, and, and just kind of raise them up. Staff is around the room and we'll come grab them anytime and bring them up because I'd like to weave them into this conversation. I have a few questions, uh, some pre-submitted and then some of our own, uh, but please feel free to wave those around so we can get them up here and weave them into the conversation as we, as we move forward. Sure. Um, so I thought I'd start with, you know, some, some say that you can tell a lot about a person and how they manage their money and what they do with that money. Um, you know, your, your finances, your budgets, your, um, your ability lately to balance those and, and, and get to a great place of stability, uh, I think can really help to define your story and, and, you know, perhaps your, your legacy eventually. Um, pension. I mean, that's, that's your biggest, it seems like it's your, your biggest success recently. Do you want to dive in a little bit into how you got the county's finances to such to, to a, such a decent place? Well, you know, I always say your first obligation as an, as an executive is to submit a budget and ensure that it gets passed, um, and to secure the good financial status, financial footing uh, for whatever body you're you're responsible for. Um, and it was a real challenge for us because my predecessor deliberately did things to make it harder <laughs> when we got in. Um, and we had, a in the first year, a $487 million budget gap to close. Um, the next year it was, I, I wrote this down, 315 The next year was 267 Anyway, we had considerable financial challenges in the first few years. And I told my team, we have to get our finances in order in order to proceed with our policy agenda, because otherwise we'll be bogged down in criticism about how we can't manage the money. And so I'm very grateful to Tarek Malhans and Ivan Samstein and Amar Ritsky and Tanya Anthony, who are our chief financial officers over the years. Um, they were able to, to close those budget gaps and, and keep us on a steady footing, and then we could then we could move on to, to our policy concerns. But, you know, we... <clears throat> We also had some challenges about long-term debt, and we've reduced our long-term debt over this period by $700 million. Um, we started working on our pensions in 2015. We went to the legislature to ask for help because the statutory requirement, required pension contribution was not the actuarial number, and um, that meant we were getting further and further behind in terms of meeting our pension obligations. Um, I just want to thank Speaker Chris Welsh, because although we got support in the Senate over those years from John Cullerton, President Cullerton, uh, we could never secure the support of the Speaker of the House. Uh, my joke is that I was on his do not resuscitate list. As a result, as a result we had trouble with some of, our, um, some of our legislative concerns in Springfield. But um, we were able in 2023 after, what is it, 2015 to 
2023, what's that, eight years of, of work uh, to get our pension reform bill passed. And that basically, it just allowed us to, to give more money to our pension fund. It didn't involve any state support, just changing the rules so we could make actuarial contributions to our pension funds rather than statutory ones. So we, we, we've balanced our budgets. We've reduced our long-term debt, and now we're on the road to getting our pensions uh, in good order. In, in tw 2047, we'll be fully funded, 100% funded. Um, so we're, we're in great shape. I'm sure the press has been shouting that from the rooftops, right? <laughs> um, <coughs> we've worked hard uh, around the finances, and uh, it's not news anymore. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when you do good, it just, you know, anyway. It doesn't give as much attention to screwing up, let's put it that way. So more good to come is what I take <laughs> from that, right? Um, well, now with, with, with all of that stabilized, um, you know, you've sort of unlocked this ability to spend on those priorities. And, and I thought, uh, you know, some of the county's needs, your, your priorities, your agenda, and that maybe we could get into a couple of those um, I've, uh, we, you know, we've talked a lot about, actually a year ago, about a year ago, we had a conversation here that you led on guaranteed income uh, in, the, in the pilot that, that you started. Mayor Tubbs was here. Right. Um, it was about a year ago. Uh, how has that gone and how, is, how has that progressed in the year um, with, with regards to your, well, well, you've also been able to stabilize that budget? Well, um a little over a year ago, we initiated a guaranteed income pilot program, 3,250 families, two years, $500 a month. Um, you know, in, in the 1960s, Dr. Martin Luther King talked about the importance of, of guaranteed income. He and the Black Panthers, actually, talked about the importance of guaranteed income as a foundation for uh, people in this country who are struggling. And... <clears throat> It's, a, it's an idea that has kind of um, recurred, bubbled up now, and so you see uh, a lot of these guaranteed income pilots across the country. And I think that's really encouraging because what we have to do is make the case for a federal program. Um, that's what we really need, a federal guaranteed income program. And so we're doing our best to contribute to that. We have the University of Chicago as our academic partner. There's a control group, just like you do in a medical study, uh, a control group of people with similar characteristics, and we're going to look at how they, um, what, what was the arc of their lives over the last two years in comparison to our participants in our program. So I'm, I'm very hopeful. What's happened in other places is people invest, as you might think, in food and shelter, education for themselves and their children. And at the end of the programs, at least what we've seen so far, is people are better off, more financially stable than those who, who are in the control groups who didn't participate. So um, we're... We're trying to be part, not just to help the people in this program, but part of the national movement um, to get the federal government to decide that this is what we need to do nationally. And um, speaking of the federal government, um, I, I believe that ARPA funds have, have helped to fund that, right? And they've, I know they've also helped to fund the, the medical debt relief, relief program. Right. I should ask Dean here. I think it's $42 million for our guaranteed income program. Yeah, all right, he's helping. $42 million for our guaranteed income program and $12 million for our medical debt relief program. Those are ARPA resources. Uh, we've pledged that we'll use our own county resources to con continue the guaranteed income pilot. Um, and, you know, I, the, the medical debt relief, the, as many of you may know, the, one, and one of the top reasons people declare bankruptcy in this country 
is that they can't pay their medical bills. I mean, we're the richest country in the world. This is absolutely disgraceful. Um, what we need is universal health care. But in the interim, between then and now, um, we have to do whatever we can to help people with their medical bills. And um, so we've helped 200,000 people in Cook County, and I think it's $348 million now in uh, bills that we've uh, wiped out. And so we clean up people's credit. Um, we clean up people's credit, and you know, of course, having better credit scores enables you to get better rates on your mortgage and, and your housing and whatever. Um, and, and there's also the burden of, of these health care bills. People don't seek additional care because they've got these outstanding debts. So it's, it's, it helps financially, but it also helps psychologically. People don't have to worry about their bills, and they're more likely to, to go get the care they need before they're in a catastrophic condition. So what happens when those ARPA funds dry up? Well, that's what we're planning now, actually. Um, the, the federal law is that by 2024, we have to obligate all the money, and we have to spend it by 2026. Um, I'm kind of hopeful that when President Biden gets reelected, they'll extend that out a little bit. But um, at present, those are the rules of the game. And so um, that's what we're doing. Um, we're trying to figure out, we, we, before the ARPA money was available, we created an equity fund. This is one of Lynetta's uh, babies. Um, an equity fund to invest in just such things as, as guaranteed basic income and other equity-related work we're doing. So we're going to have our own resources to continue some of these programs, but not all of them. And it'll be very tough to decide... Uh, what we're going to go forward with and what we're going to have to leave behind as the federal resources dry up. Uh, and I was having a conversation with Dwayne Deskins. Dwayne, if you're back there, uh, please send your question up because we were interrupted um, in a, a note to please, uh, Amanda, if you're here, I think if anyone has a question, please raise your hand. Um, and Dwayne, I, 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 I don't know that I got all of that, so please um, send that on up. Um, as we move down the list here, um, behavioral. Okay, so you, you've you've um, we talked last week. We talked about mental health, behavioral health. Um, that's been a priority for you, right? And uh, and I I think it's been a priority for City Club. Um, we had the, as I mentioned, we had the uh, Surgeon General here a number of months ago. And he was talking about mental health in teens and, you know, how the, the stigma in trying to remove mental health. Who would have thought we'd be talking about that at City Club? But now we do. We talk about it. We talk about not only what um, Peter O'Brien here, is here in, in, in the Kennedy Forum and uh, so much that has been done and, and that can still be done. Uh, what are what have you been doing uh, from the county level with regards to mental health or, or behavioral health? Well, I want to thank Nick Shields and the communications team because I I asked them to be sure to give me um, give me prompts here on exactly how much money we're spending for various things. But um, you know we've allocated seventy four million dollars in funding for behavioral health services this year. Um, we're standing up a behavioral health department in Cook County Health and Hospital System. Um, and we're having a forum coming up soon here. We've got 700 people, I think, who've been registered to talk about behavioral health issues in, in Cook County. Um, and we've also, um, we've also put a lot of money into violence prevention, and I think that's a behavioral health issue. Um, $110 million in anti-recidivism, restorative justice, um, violence prevention initiatives in the last two years. 
$110 million. So we put a lot of money into trying to deal with the violence on our streets. I should say to, to folks, um, I think the, there was a terrible year in 2016 and then a lot of mobilization, particularly of foundation and government communities around trying to address the violence and get people out on the streets um, to do violence intervention. Um, and, but then when the pandemic hit, it, it, so it was trending down, the murders were trending down, and then the pandemic hit, and the, the, just the terrible dislocation and uh, stresses on mental health um, that a lot of people experienced led to upticks in violence. So in 2021, we had a very bad year. Uh, 2022, violent shootings and murders went down, and, and they also went down in 2023. So we're on a downward trajectory in terms of um, violence in the streets, but um, we still have terrible problems with opioid overdoses. And actually, there's a lot of newspaper coverage, media coverage of the murders, but there isn't very much media coverage of the overdose deaths. And for the last several years, there have been twice as many overdose deaths as there have been murders. So last year, I think I, I've got this number here somewhere, 828 people were murdered, but like 1,500 people died of overdoses. And there are another 400 cases pending that will probably be declared overdose deaths too. So almost 2,000 people died from overdose deaths and 800 and whatever it was, people, 800 plus people were murdered. Um, so we've, there's a whole sort of constellation of challenges here around behavioral health that we've got to try to address. And you have mentioned, I mean, it's, it's the county's, priority is health and public safety, right? I mean, well, half of our money goes to public health and another 25, 30%, depending on the year, it goes to public safety. And that's mostly our, our courts and our jails. Um, although in my tenure, we started spending a lot of money on trying to do stuff upstream <laughs> to deal with the, the challenges in communities so that people don't end up in our criminal justice system. And so we began investing in community-based organizations that were doing, as I said, this work, um, violence prevention, anti-recidivism, restorative justice work. And if I remember correctly, back when you were an alderman, police accountability was really a, a push of yours, right? I mean, before, back in the 90s. Yeah, that didn't earn me a lot of points at the time, I'll tell you. Um, you know, we, 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 live in, we live in a city that's the wrongful conviction capital <laughs> of the country. I mean, it's just, and there's been a history of police abuse, you know, beating people, torturing confessions out of folks, not to mention shooting people down in the streets. And, um, you know, Jason Van Dyke was charged with murder, but he was the first police officer in like 30 years to be charged with murder. I don't, I don't know if anybody in this room believes that in those 30 years, there wasn't another police officer or many police officers who shot and killed people and should be in jail for it. Um, you know, part of the challenge in this city is just the endemic racism in our country, which uh, manifests itself in our, in our city, and it's one of the most segregated cities in the country, has been for as long as I can remember. Um, and that kind of... Um, disinvestment, marginalization, discrimination uh, uh, that befalls communities of color, you know, has terrible consequences. And, and, and we historically in this town, we haven't dealt with the challenges, the, um, the violence in those communities, the, the, the behavioral health challenges, the drug overdoses. We haven't felt, dealt with them in a, in a positive way. We've, we've focused on police responses. And um, we've allowed our police to behave like cowboys, and um, 
you know, I, that's something I spoke to when I was in city council. It didn't make me very popular. Um, but, you know, unless we hold our police accountable for their conduct in the streets, nobody's going to have any confidence in the police. And then nobody will talk to them or trust them, and we can't solve any crimes, because that's how you solve crimes. You talk to people in the communities. So we, <laughs> um, I hear a lot of good things about Larry Snelling. I don't know him, but, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that he can begin to make some of the changes that are going to take um, a while, um, begin to make some of the changes that, are, that need to be made to have better to more accountability for our police officers and uh, better community relations. And by the way, we need to invest in um, clearly more training for our officers, but also invest in, in their behavioral health. Um, I, I have a friend who is a newspaper reporter. She says they're all traumatized. They all suffer from PTSD, given what they've seen and what they have to do. And, and, and it, but in the police department, there isn't a lot of... Um, Support. Let's put it that way. For people who decide that this is a real challenging job, and maybe I need therapy, or maybe I need meds, or maybe I need more training. Um, it's you know sort of a semi-militaristic organization, and that kind of willingness to acknowledge vulnerability hasn't been um, supported or challenged. I mean, supported enough. And, and the idea that you got to be sort of macho and just suck it up is what the you know, I think what the culture is, and that's that's really hard for people who are in that culture. And with that in mind, we uh, since the uh, Vivek Murthy was here, I love to ask people in positions of power, dealing with the stresses, dealing with everything you just talked about, has got to keep keep you up, right? That um, how do you how do you deal with your own mental health? How do you do you have a release? Do you have a um, that's got to be quite an quite an undertaking to see all this, try to solve it, not be able to necessarily solve everything. Everybody tells you one thing, you're doing it well, you're not doing something else well. How do you deal with that yourself? Well, you know, I I always say, if you're going to be an elected official in a democracy, you have to have a high tolerance for abuse and rejection. And um, you're more likely to get tomatoes than compliments, you know. Um, So, yeah, you have to have a pretty thick skin. Um, I think Eleanor Roosevelt said something like, you know, if, if you're going to be an elected official democracy, you have to have the height of a rhinoceros or something. Um, you know, I, I try to get as much sleep as possible. <laughs> um, I, I like, I actually went to a couple good movies the last couple of weeks. Um, I recommend Origin, uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, movie about Isabel. Some people in this audience know this. Um, Isabel Wilkerson's book called Cast. And it's a story of her sort of writing the book and what the book's about. And it's a, it's a very, um, people usually think of historical movies as boring somehow. <laughs> um, but she's managed to translate pretty complicated um, historical ideas into a pretty accessible movie for lay people. And uh, so I love that I recommend it, Origin. I also saw American Fiction, which... Was was interesting. I, it was harder for me because it's it was so sardonic and um, it was harder for me to take. Although it, it's based in difficult truths as well. But I recommend Origin without question. People love a city club movie club. Yeah, the idea is just keep coming. Um, okay, great. Can we switch gears a little bit and talk politics? Favorite, favorite we are, past. We are talking politics. <laughs> there we go. Okay. The the uh, government the, is politics. The bigger piece. What is sure. 
uh, you are the chair of the county uh, county Democratic Party. We've yes, got a few things going I on. Checked. We, we have an important we have an important election coming up, uh, an important primary coming up. What's going on there? Uh, what do what do people need to keep an eye out for? And now, well, let's start with the national election. You know, this really worries me. Um, I, I could be, the law changed when I was a teenager, and you couldn't vote until you were twenty-one. But I haven't missed an election since I was twenty-one years old, and that's a long time ago. Um, but you know, I feel it, clearly I'm a Democrat, and um, Republicans have different views of the world. But I, I didn't ever feel as I do now that this is sort of an inflection moment, you know, a watershed moment in our country's history. Um, and you know, God help us. We, I, I think we have to reelect. Joe Biden, and what we're going to do, since Illinois is a blue state, is send people to Wisconsin and Michigan to campaign for the president. Um, we're going to work. Um, if you're a praying person, you ought to pray, too. <laughs> um, okay, I have... Some questions coming in. I'm going to try to weave them in to make sense of all this. Um, we have the primary coming, but we know what else. What else we have in a room in the room? I'm sure knows it is the Democratic National Convention coming. Um, I think Christy uh, is here. Uh, Christy, Christy George um, has been busy lately. Uh, what's What's your hope for that? What do you? It, it's been a while since we have a, had a convention here. Well, I, I was telling someone earlier today that. Uh, I'm old enough to have been in Chicago in the 1968 Democratic Convention and then, of course, the 1996 Democratic Convention. They were sort of polar opposites in terms of um, their impact on the Democratic Party and their reflection of the city of Chicago. And I'm hopeful that we can manage a 1996 convention. Um, but I'm really worried. I, mean, I, I was with the First Lady at the University of Illinois at Chicago a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about women's health. And um, there were young protesters outside, you know, talking about Biden being responsible for killing babies in the Middle East. And I, I'm just, I'm really worried about how this convention is going to go. I'm reassured by my staff that civil service is, uh, not civil service, uh, secret service is, is, uh, is working hard on ensuring that this is a, a peaceful event. Um, we've got a lot of challenges, and, and uh, we're going to be working with, the Secret Service and the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois to try to be sure that, that the convention goes smoothly. Um, but this is a difficult moment in a lot of respects, so I'm hopeful. And excited, right? Well, I won't put words in your mouth. I'm sorry. <laughs> we at City ahead. Club are trying to focus on the positive and all the great things that are going to come to this great city. I said, I'm hopeful that it'll be 1996. That's what I said. Okay, back to county business. Yeah. All right. Uh, we didn't. We haven't talked about this yet. Now we we um, you have you've you've made some success with the forest preserves. Uh, you've you've created some success there. I have three actual questions uh, that I believe are all related to. Uh, so I'm just going to mention, we have Graham Grady mentioned uh, this, uh, Alderman Brian Hopkins, and I'll read a couple of these questions, and, and Brian Gill from The Shed, somewhat related. Um, and I, I mentioned names because we appreciate who's in the room, we appreciate when you ask questions, uh, and we appreciate the diversity of, of who is here 
Uh, we have the Shedd Aquarium. We have, you know, we have foundations. We have government entities. We have elected officials. It's, that's the city club for you, and they're all asking the tough questions. So now I'm, I get to be, I get to sit back a little bit and, and let others ask the questions. So this one's from Aldrin Hopkins. Uh, how many acres were added to the uh, Forest Preserve District holdings during Arnold Randall, Arnold's tenure, uh, and what is a realistic goal for more acres in the next ten years? I hope that's in your numbers. No, actually, it's not in my cheat sheet, so I'm going to be stuck here. Um, so the forest preserves are 11% of the county's land. This is a real blessing. Um, we have one of the oldest and biggest forest preserves in the country. We just celebrated our centennial a couple years ago. 70,000-plus um, acres. I can't tell you how many have been added. Where's the ultimate? I can't tell you how many have been added in the last decade. Uh, but we've, we've been... Um, We've been focusing more on acquisition, and as a result of the passage of the referendum in the fall of 2022, we'll have more resources to do that. And let me just say I want to thank Arnold Randall, who left us recently to go head the Donnelly Foundation for his good work over 13 years at the Forest Preserves. Um, when, when we came, it was, uh, frankly, a patronage dumping ground. Um, we had lots of people there who um, retired from government elsewhere and then went to work in the Forest Preserves, which they saw as retirement too and not, not, a, not a job you actually had to work at. So um, he did a lot of good work in persuading the workforce that actually an eight-hour day was required for the pay you received um, and did a lot of planning around campgrounds. We built campgrounds. We upgraded our nature centers, um, did a lot of uh, restoration work. Um, bringing our, our holdings up to the highest standards in terms of uh, ecological sustainability and strength. So he, he's done a really one, he and his team have done a really wonderful job, and I'm grateful to him. I can't tell you, though, how many, exactly how many acres we added. We'll get back to you. And by um, the way, just a second, that, that good work uh, paid off in the passage of the referendum where the people of Cook County voted 67% in favor, voted to increase their taxes to support the forest preserves. So... Uh, and that sort of that answers uh, Graham Grady's question: is how, how how were you able to have so much progress? I think that's part of the answer. Um, yeah, it's good governance, and then ironically and bitterly, it's the pandemic. Because when the pandemic hit, there were lots of things that were closed, but our forest preserves were open, and so lots of people were introduced to the preserves that didn't know about them and came to appreciate them in a way that I think really helped us when we when, when we came to the public with the referendum. Makes sense. And we also had a lot of wonderful partners. Um, to work with us. So we're grateful. Great. Um, Brian uh, from the shed asked a little more, uh, a little more particular question about the wetlands uh, and the county's efforts to protect the areas of the wetlands. Um, would, would the county support a state bill implementing protections for wetlands? I wasn't aware how many wetlands we had in Cook County. Thank you, Brian, for bringing that to our attention. Well, a lot of our watersheds are in the forest preserves. So um, yeah, we have a lot of wetlands are part of our 70,000 acres. And, of course, we're doing our best to um, to increase the ecological strength of those areas, to upgrade them, uh, to get rid of invasive species. And we do a lot of controlled burns, and we send people out to hack, hack down buckthorn. Um, so we're, we're doing our best not just to um, preserve what we had, but to sort of uh, increase the quality of the, of the preserves. Okay. Um, Dr. Joy West from Roseland Community Hospital. Um, five cell side labor and delivery units have closed within the last five years. St. Bernard, Jackson Park, Holy Cross, Mercy, and Metro South. 
um, maternal mortality is rising, what strategies can we implement to address this maternal healthcare desert? Well, we have some real challenges around health disparities in our country and in our county. Um, and they are related to income and race, not surprisingly, like a lot of things in this country. Um, and actually, African-American women are, have the most challenging outcomes uh, when they are pregnant and postpartum. Um, so this is a, a focus of our health care system, but we're not, we're not the entirety of the health care environment. Um, so one of the things we need to do is lift up this issue, and I want to thank Commissioner Miller, who's here somewhere, I think, uh, for her work in this regard. Um, I would just say it's something that we're aware of and working on. Um, we can't do everything in our, in our public health system. We have to work with our partners, not-for-profit and for-profit partners, to try to improve the quality of care that gets delivered to people in Cook County across the board. Okay. Um, we have really only time for one more. I think that's all we have from the audience. There's one here that is pretty easy and won't take any time. <laughs> Um, Good, I'll take that. <laughs> no, you're about you're going to kick me under the table. Uh, what advice do you? Well, it's the city club, though. What advice do you have for future candidates for the office of mayor of Chicago? <laughs> you mean having having been drugged to the, <laughs> the time that I went, ran? Um, you know, listen, um, it's a tough job, and um, all of these executive positions are, are tough jobs. And um, you know, God bless the people who are willing to step up and try to do it. That's all I'll say. <laughs> And thank you for all that you have done. Um, you know, there's there's so much more that we could hit. Um, and I, one thing that I that we didn't talk about was was your commitment to speaking to lifting people up, um, women and and people of color in elected positions. Um, I I had told you a story years ago. My my mother was a was deciding she was going to vote for you, and she didn't ask me, but she picked up the phone and called your office. And apparently you called her back. She told me this. And I said, Mom, I hope you didn't use your last name. But you, I, she wasn't going to vote for you, if I remember correctly. And, and she called you. Bridget Gaynor probably knows about this and, and her mother. So they all talk about it. And they, you called her back. You didn't know who she was. You just, she was a voter. You called her back and spent 45 minutes on the phone with her, which really, I think, proves how accessible you are and have been. And you were able to convince her, and she came around on her on her vote. I forget what election or what position, but you came around by explaining to her why you were supporting someone else because of how important it is to have women and people of color in elected positions. I think you've you've stuck to that over so many years. Um, it, it is obviously that remains a priority for you in in the Democratic uh, Cook County Party as well. Um, do you want to talk about that as we finish up here? Sure. You know, um, my predecessor and I. Um, both believe that the party has to reflect the county. And we live in a county in which 26% of the people are uh, Latin, the Latinx Latino community. 24% are African American, 8% are Asian. So it's a county in which people of color are the majority. Um, but I tell the story that when I first got elected to the Democratic Central Committee as fourth ward committee person in 1992, um, we were slating, for example, for judges pretty much white guys with Irish names. And so a lot of us who were committee people didn't always support the candidates of the party because they didn't look like us. Um, and so for the last more than a decade now, 
Um, the party has really been focused on inclusion, and we slate a lot more women. Actually, we are slating 11 judges for the circuit court. I think seven of them are women, four of them are men. Three are African American, two are Latinos, and one is Asian American. So uh, six are people of color out of the 11. Um, we're supporting Joy Cunningham for the Supreme Court, Justice Cunningham. We're supporting Clayton Harris III for state's attorney. God bless him for willing to take on that challenge. And uh, Marianas Baropoulos for clerk of the court. So we have a very diverse slate, and, um, and we're continuing to work on trying to make the party, as I said, uh, reflect the diversity of our county. And um, it's been my pleasure to support a lot of good people. Uh, along the way, uh, and I'm, I'm proud of the work that the party has done more recently um, to be reflective of the diversity of Cook County. All right. Well, thank you for that, that commitment. Thank you for your commitment to Cook County. Thank you for your friendship to the City Club of Chicago. And uh, thank you for your time here today, Madam President. Welcome back to City Club soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. There's so much more to come. We have uh, an incredible month of February coming up. The shortest month and one of the uh, coldest months of the year. And we are going to be here very often. Um, so we look forward to welcoming you all back. There are brochures on your tables um, that talk about our, our membership. We've got an event uh, panel on artificial intelligence. Um, Ireland's uh, the uh, former uh, Taoiseach from Ireland is here on the 8th. The Humanities uh, and, uh, National Endowment for the Humanities Chair is here from D.C. Chief Justice Tice is coming from the court. It's really going to be an incredible month. So uh, please come back. Thank you again, Madam President. Look forward to seeing you all again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.